like the heavyweight of that one. But we will touch on it because it's part of the verses from today. Okay? So, uh, when these guys came to town, Paul and, and Silas and Timothy, they caused a major disruption in that community. And one of the things was uh, the disruption was on the resurrection. Because Greeks at that time felt that once you were dead, you were dead. Okay? And then there was really no hope. There's letters and basically tombstones that are there that say, life is hard. Where the first says, you're born, then life is hard, and then you die. So sorry. And then there's a lot of examples of letters from one person to another that kind of have that. And the other thing, the Greeks were all about their bodies, and they didn't want a resurrected body because it might be nasty. So they could not make that jump when it came time for the resurrection. Okay. But because of Paul, his Christ-like features as a teacher of the teachings of Jesus Christ, there were people there that got set on fire. Well, it made everybody crazy. So when we go to Acts 17.6, they couldn't find Paul or Silas or Timothy. So they said, and when we could not find them, they direct Jason and some of the other brothers before the city authorities shouting, these men who have turned the world upside down have come here also. So they're turning things upside down. And I would like to think that here, with Nathan as our leader, we are trying to turn things upside down as well. Because that is very powerful. That's what we want here. So, the, I want to move to 1 Thessalonians 1, 2 through 3. That verse says, and I, I would hope this verse would be for all of us, not only his writing to their church, but also to our church. It says, we give thanks to God always for all of you, constantly mentioning you in our prayers, remembering before our God and Father your work of faith and labor of love and steadfastness of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ. We all lose hope, and sometimes we all have doubts. We want to... In these verses, we want to reinforce that Christian lifestyle moving on for, for sanctification. So 1 Thessalonians 4, 13 through 18. But we do not want you to be un, un, uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that you are alive, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with him in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. So we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So these are, because it says brothers at the beginning, these, this thing is from Christians to Christians. But I always like to step out of that just a minute. And let's just talk about worldly things. So in the world, there are 7.8 billion people, of which 2.5 million of those are Christian, 
Zero billion are Muslim. 1.2 billion are Hindu. And 0.6 billion are Buddhist. All those religions believe in some type of afterlife. And so what we're looking at is a majority of people around the world believe in an afterlife of some kind. In the United States, the figure is running about 75% believe in an afterlife. And there's about 12% who say, eh, I don't really know. And there's about 7% that say, no way. So even if we're voting, we would win this election. Okay. So I want, I want to step out of that right now and just tell you a story about my oldest son. His name is Trey. Trey was one of these kids that's running around the church and just be like, everybody liked that little kid. He looked almost identical to that little boy right there in the blue shirt in the fourth row. Had red hair and very lit up a room. Uh, he grew into a really awesome young man, uh, was an engineer. He married his high school girlfriend who looks more like Taylor Swift. Like me all the time. Um, and there was a time, you know, in a little while we're going to have the baptism of David Ash and Solomon Ash. David's going to baptize uh, Solomon. And he's going to come up here and he's going to lay Solomon in here and say, Buried just like in death, just like Jesus in death, resurrected like Jesus into a new life. Okay, so I had that same awesome uh, experience with Trey. I was able to baptize him myself, just like you're going to do today. Thanks for letting me use you all as an example. So he, he grew up into just an awesome young man. We were very close. And so, you know, it, this was really awesome to get to see that. Um, the main thing you need to know about this verse, and even though some of it can be kind of heavy, talking about grief, is verse, the last verse, which is verse 18, which says, Therefore, encourage one another with these words. So, encouragement. Then we go back to the beginning and say, What is that all about? Okay. So, the
this concept that the patient, that the person can be, will be brought back to life. Okay, so that why we use, that's why we use this concept of falling asleep. The question is, when you fall asleep, what happens to you between now and the time that the Lord comes back? And so, there's good evidence in the Bible that you go to be with the Lord right that minute. Okay, so Matthew 27, <clears throat> 52. The tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep, fallen asleep were raised. John 11, 11 through 14. This is a discussion of Lazarus. It says, after saying these things, he said to them, Our friend Lazarus has fallen asleep, but I go to awaken him. This is Jesus talking. The disciples said to him, Lord, if he has fallen asleep, he will recover. Now Jesus had spoken of his death but they thought that he meant taking rest and sleep. Then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died. So here Lazarus is dead. Jesus is already communing with him as he's dead. So if you think about it, that's Jesus with him after he's already died. He knows what's happening. And he knows what's going on with Lazarus. And as we know from the rest of the story, he comes and he raises Lazarus from the dead. So it doesn't matter if you've been dead for four days, like in this case, four months, four years, or uh, 2,000 years, Jesus can raise somebody like that. Okay? So, in Isaiah 25, 8, they give us a promise that he will swallow up death forever, and the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces, and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth, for the Lord has spoken. And Paul felt so strongly about this that in Philippians 1, 22, 23, if I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Which means he, you know, he'll be fruitful while he's living. Yet, which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart, which is go with God, and be with Christ, for that is far better. So here's Paul talking about he would rather be dead with the Lord than laboring on the earth. Okay. So once again, there's going to see that there's more to life than you're born, life is hard, and then you die. So I want to try to tell you the rest of the story about Trey. Trey um, was, you know, he and I spent a lot of time together, at least three or four nights a week playing uh, Call of Duty on video, even though he was in Texas and I was here. We, get together and we could whip on some people back in the day. Pretty good at that. So I went one weekend to a Christian conference which is called Walk to Emmaus, which I would encourage any of y'all that get the opportunity to go, y'all should go out there. So I'm out at Walk to Emmaus, it's Friday night late, and they come in and wake me up, which happens a lot, I'm a surgeon by trade, so when I when I go places, um, if somebody gets sick, they wake me up all the time in the middle of the night because, you know, it's just a normal thing for me. So when I went into the chapel, um, I went, went there, and my wife was there with the pastor, and the members of my small group were all standing outside to tell me that Trey had died. Okay, that was in 2012. He was 23 years old. And what had happened is he and his wife had gone through divorce, they'd gotten back together, and at 
she came that, that day and said, well, I decided I'm going to go with another guy instead of you. So he picked up the gun and he shot himself. And so, you know, it's, there's a couple of things about that. It's like, do you live the Christian life? Or do you live the life of the pagan? Which is, Christian life is we all believe in hope and resurrection. So just like you're going to do here in the earlier, I had baptized that boy myself, personally. Okay? So I knew that he had belief in Jesus and that had the hope of the resurrection. And there's nothing about what we do and what we say that says we can't grieve as people. And a lot of people in this church, there's people sitting right here, Dobby right there, Chris in the back, Gil and Polly, and a lot of people in this room were there the night that they had to come out and give me. And those people all were doing something else. They dropped everything that they were doing to come be with myself and my wife. And that goes to the previous, uh, last week's discussion about brotherly love. That's what we need more of. And so these letter, this letter to Paul is about brotherly love, which is about death and what happens at the time of death. So I want to be clear that all this in my life has made a big contribution as a Christian believer. Okay? So, 2 Corinthians 4, 8 through 9. We are afflicted in every way, but not crushed. Perplexed, but not driven to despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. Not destroyed. So, you know, Chris, when I came in here, it's like, brother, I don't know how you're going to give this talk. This is the verse. Not destroyed. Romans 12, 15. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. So, man, a lot of people wept with me. A lot of people. It says right here, you're not forgiven, uh, not held accountable for grieving. You are able to grieve. You can weep right here in the Bible. In Acts 8, 2, after the death of Stephen. Devouted men buried Stephen and with great lamentation over him, which means they wept, they cried out. Okay. Said in Paul's last words, 2 Timothy 4:18, the Lord will rescue me from every evil deed and bring me safely into this heavenly kingdom. To be to him be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay. So we're allowed to grieve, we're allowed to have pain, but it should be different for us, okay? Because we have hope in something, especially Christ's resurrection, that we have that same opportunity as Christians. Pagans do not have that opportunity. And then most people, their leaders are dead, buried. Christians have Jesus Christ who has been resurrected and is living. And we have proof of that. So, once again, we step out into the into the world of non-believers. If you've ever been to Israel, when you happens when you go to Israel, is you go to a place where they say this is Jesus' tomb. How do they know that's Jesus' tomb? So I can tell you the story that you're given when you go there to that place is that 
Romans just paved it over so no Christians could get there. And they erected a statue of Diana there. So what they did is they basically sealed that place in history as a place to where we know that happened. So that's history. This is historical discussion. So now we've moved from grief to hope, okay? which is how we get from grief to how we live the rest of our lives. Okay? Um, Romans 5, 1 through 5, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him, we will also obtain access by faith into this grace in which we stand. And we rejoice in hope and the glory of the Lord. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Knowing that suffering produces endurance, and endurance produces character, and character produces hope. I have a lot of character and a lot of hope. And I hope that for everybody else, not in the same way. Hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. In 1 Peter 4, 12 through 13. Beloved, do not be surprised at the fiery trial when it comes upon you to test you, as though something strange were happening to you. But rejoice insofar as you share Christ's sufferings, that you may also rejoice and be glad when His glory is revealed. So when I went to Texas, we had a big family meeting. So one of the one of the questions my oldest daughter asked me is what about Amber, which was Trey's uh, ex-wife at that time, and said, what about her? How are you going to treat her? And at that moment, there are moments in your life where you have to really be a Christian. Like, really, really be a Christian. And at that moment, I had this peace that came over me said, she's hurting too. She's been part of this family for many, many years since they've been dating all through high school and through college. She's a member of this family. She's hurt. She needs to be loved. It's real easy to lash out with unforgiveness. It's a lot easier to reach into your Christ-like sanctification, give forgiveness, move on. And to show that for your family I think is very important as well. Because we, we want to be disruptors, just like I talked about at the beginning with Paul and Silas and Timothy coming in. Who are these people? Why are they disrupting what's going on here? We want that same thing in our lives. We want that same thing in our church. Okay? I've got this patient that I had many years ago been the best example of anything I ever saw in my life. She had liver cancer, was at the end of her life, was in the hospital. Every day I went into her room and she said, have I told you about Jesus? Have I told you about Jesus? And I was like, everybody that came in, she was at peace, she was comfortable. Have I told you about Jesus? Have I told you about Jesus? The last day of her life, I went into her room and I said, and she said, have I told you about Jesus? And I said, I started to say something. She goes, oh, never mind. I've told you about Jesus. 
she died. Just like that. Her life was completed on this earth. At that point, it was clear to me that she felt her life was completed. Alright. So now we're going to move into the rapture. We'll go to verse 15. For this we declare to you by word from the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left, until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a cry of command, with the voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. So these people in Thessalonica were worried about their relatives that had died ahead of time. And so Paul asked for a word from the Lord, which is what this says. He was given the word from the Lord. That they're actually going to be raised first. Okay? So they're not, is, there's this concept of FOMO, fear of missing out, which is they were afraid their family's going to miss out. But what if I die? And my wife or my friends are all left here. Am I going to miss out? Well, clearly in this passage, that is not the case. Okay? We are going to be resurrected first. Sorry, guys. If I die before y'all, I get to be first. Okay? And this event is going to not be subtle. It is going to be a it says a cry of command. And a cry of command here in the Greek means like a soldier giving an order on a battlefield. Like loud, clear, responsive. Okay? The voice of an archangel and the sound of the trumpet of God. And I don't know what the sound of the trumpet of God sounds like or what the cry of command, but I know clearly it's enough to wake the dead. Okay? So that's, that's going to be a fantastic thing. And so I, if I'm not alive then, then so be it. I'll hear it just like everybody else. Okay? So there's this story in, of, of a famous Antarctic explorer, and it's Sir Ernest Shackleton. Okay? So he was going on an expedition to cross the Antarctic continent, to sail into this bay, cross across, go to another side, and sail to the next place. Okay? And in that meantime, he was going to cross across the South Pole. So back in the early 20th century, we didn't have all this North Face and all this stuff to kind of do that kind of trip with. So they were going to make this trip. What happened to their ship is it's called the Endurance. They got in there, got into this bay, and the ice closed around them. Okay? And so they were floating with the ice, and then eventually what happened is the ship got crushed by the ice, and they had to get off, and they were floating around on a, on a uh, ice float. And they decided, this thing is melting. We're going to have to get off here. So they got in their lifeboats, and they went to a little island. And while they're on the island, Shackleton felt that they were going to die there. So he took four of his men 
and he got in a lifeboat and he went to try to go get help. In the meantime, his second in command every day would go in to the to the other 22 men that were left there and say, "All right, everybody, get up, fold up your sleeping bags, get all your gear together because the boss might be coming today." In the meantime, Shackleton went and he landed and found help, and they came back after four months and rescued those people. Okay. There's two main points in that loop. You know, I look for a lot of things in life, what I call gospel moments. Moments where you can really hear the Lord reaching into you and, and, and telling you things. This is one of those moments where these guys, the same for us, like the four guys that got in the boat with and went to rescue, sort of like the apostles. Okay? The man every day getting up and saying, pack your gear, the boss is coming. This is the same thing with the rapture. We don't know when it's going to be. We don't know how it's, we don't have an idea how it's going to happen, but certainly not any details. Um, but we do know that every day we have to be prepared because the boss is coming. The boss is coming. So prepare yourself. Not like the guy standing up in Times Square with a sign that says the end isn't here. <laughs> but, you know, prepare yourself. So Dietrich Bonhoeffer, who was a, a pastor in Nazi Germany, um, was very much against the Nazis, and he preached against them continuously. And in the end, he gave his life for his beliefs, what we're talking about this morning. And this is a quote from him. The time is short, eternity is long, it is a time of decision. Those who are true to the word and confession on earth will find Jesus standing by their side in the hour of judgment. He will acknowledge them and come to their aid when the accuser demands his rights. All the world will be called to witness as Jesus pronounces our name, your name. Okay? Your name. Before his heavenly Father. So he's going to be calling out our names individually to the Lord. If we have been true to Jesus in this life, he will be true to us in eternity. And what a great, what a great concept. Okay. So there's two questions that we try to answer. First is how should we grieve as Christians? We've touched a little bit on that. And how do we encourage others, which I think goes back to last week's message as much. The, my, my road, you've already got part of it. But here's my other road. Stand up now. When I came to church shortly after all this happened, I was up here doing communion like we're going to do here shortly. And some of my brothers came up to me did this to take the communion and took their hand and put it right here. Squeezed it. That was an example of brotherly love in this room. That meant <clears throat> more than, to me than you can imagine. It's always nice when your friends bring food by your house. All those kind of things. But the sheer close example brotherly love like we talked about 
last week is one of the other reasons why you get through grief during this time period as a community. It's hard to have those kind of relationships to people without Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for that promise, Lord, and thank you. Help us to continue.